everybody. You're stuck with me today. Okay. Just kidding. I know. I, I have to say I really, really just appreciate um, Jim thought I was teaching last week. So I got two solid weeks of prayer. So no charge. So and uh, those of you who pray for us who are coming up here to speak, you know, that means a lot because it's not it's not easy and you face um, you know, just those spiritual battles and things like that. So appreciate that. Uh, last week, we had a game of ragball. Praise God, it was a beautiful day. No one got hurt, so that was good. And here's a picture of, you know, we had quite a range of age groups. Um, you know, Varric and Judah played, and actually Jenny and Vela, they, they got in there and played too, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, if we have the opportunity to do it again, hopefully you can come out and join us. We had a nice picnic out there, and it was great. Um, so thank God for that. So I just want to say Happy Mother's Day. And I'll, I, I almost want to change the name to Happy like Woman of God Day, because not all of us are mothers, right? But um, women of God and mothers have an important role. And I, my mom is, she told me she'd be watching at home. Uh, she, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so they're in Pennsylvania. So I just want to give a shout-out to my mom. Things that my mom taught me, hard work. My mom did not finish eighth grade, but yet started her own business and worked very hard as a, a waitress at night, uh, grooming dogs in the, in, during the day, and so that was uh, something she instilled in me, so I appreciate that. Also her toughness, my mom was very tough, very tough woman. We fought a lot, I think, because of that. Uh, she survived cancer and then found a, a lump a couple years later, and then just seeing her faith through that was a real encouragement uh, to us and the family. So thanks, Mom, for always, always being a fighter and you know, working hard. Uh, like I said, we did f fight a lot growing up, so thanks, Mom, for fighting that battle. One time in high school, I skipped school. I was hiding in my friend's basement. My mom came there, and I hid in the closet. She found me, ripped me out of that closet, and took me to school. So thanks, Mom, for fighting. As a good parent, fighting that battle as a parent, that is a battle. And we don't always see the work and the results, the good, the good. but Mom, you know, thank you. So I hope you get to honor your mom today or remember uh, your, mother to, your mothers today. And then those who aren't mothers, to be there for others who maybe don't have moms. So I, I just want to give a shout out to Paula. Uh, my mom lives in Pennsylvania, so she can't be here on a regular basis. So Paula has been uh, a great mom figure in my life. Uh, and prayed me back into the fold. I believe that, truly. She, she I believe, prayed. Those of you who know me and kind of know my history, uh, thank you for praying me into the fold. So very, these moms, these warriors of prayer, uh, these fighters, we, thank you. Um, you're awesome. So, today's message is not maybe so comfortable to share in some ways. It's, the title of the message is, God Said No. So if you want to open up to Deuteronomy chapter 3, we like to hear yes, but sometimes God says no. So Deuteronomy chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Now, Patrick and I didn't know what each other was going to speak about, so it's kind of a good lead-in. He talked about Joshua and having courage, so we're going to kind of back up and talk about Moses. Why didn't Moses go into the promised land? It was Joshua. 
instead of Moses. So Deuteronomy 3, 21. It says, And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done. To these two kings, so will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your kindness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, Enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So he, we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Um, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Even though sometimes it's not what we want to hear, we just pray today that it would be what we need to hear and that you would teach us through your word uh, what you have for us and that the words that are from you today would sink in and stay with us uh, throughout the week. And thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, who you are, your mercy, your grace. Uh, but also your discipline. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we live in an age, strangely enough, where some think it's child abuse to tell their kids no, to, or to restrain them or discipline them. Oh, that's bad. We don't want to hurt their self-esteem or hinder their curiosity. We even distort this idea of, you know, we don't want to hurt self-esteem even further with concepts simple concepts like games. There are no longer winners or losers. We all get a trophy, no matter what. You participated, good job. What's the result of this in our culture? What are some lessons that this teaches our kids? I, I would argue that there are some terrible lessons out there that can be learned from this. For example, I can be whatever I want to be or dream up to be, whether I'm good at it or not, whether I work at it or not, just because I want it. I'm entitled to it. I can behave however I want to behave and do whatever I want, yet I'm entitled to the outcome I desire. I actually had a professor in college. So I'm, uh, those of you who don't know me, I help out in the back with the children's ministry. I am a public school teacher in middle school. Um, and so as part of my training, I had a professor in special education, brilliant guy in a lot of ways, but he said, if you want to understand children, watch Curious George. If you want to understand, there's no such thing as bad. It's just curious. Kids are just curious. They don't do wrong. It's not wrong. They're just curious. So as I grew up and I you know, read these books to my kids, all right, I couldn't help but notice that George made some bad decisions, but he never faced any consequences for his actions. Things always worked out, and he got rewarded. <laughs> but it's not bad. It's just curious. It wasn't bad that I did drugs. I was just curious. I just wanted to see what would happen. So as I was looking, I was wondering, does anyone else see a problem with this? So I, I Googled it, and I found uh, an article, and I just have to read this. It's hilarious. Uh, bad parenting lessons from Curious George. Don't worry about listening to your dad. You'll have more fun that way, especially if ice cream is involved. And at the end of the day, the disaster you caused means everybody wins, except the ice cream shop. 
Here's another one. Don't worry about listening to your dad. In the end, it doesn't matter. Everybody will love you more. The more trouble you cause, the more people will end up liking you. Don't worry about listening to, to your dad. You won't ever get punished. The man in the yellow hat never doles out consequences. That chocolate factory you nearly destroyed? Ah, don't worry about it, little guy. Just laugh Men, about them losing thousands of dollars of chocolate. It's all right. And the last one, your poor decisions don't ever cause any real trouble. You may wreck the local library, let all the animals out of the zoo, and ruin everything of value in your friend's new restaurant. But just give it a few minutes. Everything will be even better because of your mischief. In fact, thank you for your bad decisions. We're glad you ignored the rules. <laughs> so... Now, I know I'm picking on George, and I, I do own George books. It's not like I want you to go home and burn all your George books, but I'm quick when I'm reading them to my kids to point out, oh, George, he didn't get any consequences there. That, is that how life works? No, of course not. So, so I know I'm being a, a little harsh on George, but on a serious note, our society has gotten a little out of balance with this whole self-esteem thing. In fact, if someone tells me something I don't like, I can just cancel it. Um, I can be whatever I want to be, whether that's a dog, a cat, or whatever, and it's fine. It's, no, it's not weird. It's fine. I'm actually, in, in some schools, right, these, these things, as a teacher, you're required to support these things that kids are doing. We don't want to harm their self-esteem. What's the problem with this? This line of thinking, uh, rules got out of the equation. I, myself is the king, but in fact, Jesus is the king of kings. So the trouble with this line of thinking is it doesn't take into account God, his word, his will, or his worship. We've, we've traded this exaltation of self over the exaltation of God and the authority of God and his will and what he says is right and true. In arrogance, we've written God out of the equation. As Proverbs says, the fool in his heart says there is no God. And we might go a step further and say, well, when I get to heaven, I'll just tell God if, if there is a heaven, I'll just tell him I don't believe in hell, so I'm not going there. I'm, I'm just telling him I, I deserve this. I have a right to it. I'm entitled to heaven. So as Christians, we're not going to outwardly say these things, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't dare. It's a little more subtle for us, and we have to, I think, take note. Um, doesn't God want me to be happy? God loves me and wants me to be happy. This thing that I want will make me happy, so therefore God must want me to have it. Ooh, be careful. The rules don't apply to me because I'm the, I'm the children's minister. I've done a lot for God. It's, I, it doesn't apply to me. It's okay. God will forgive me in the end. God needs me. He owes this to me. I deserve this. So we have to be careful. This is a little more subtle. Now, we can also be guilty of the sin of discontentment when we are told no. And, you know, you can think, like, I'm a grown man. Don't tell me no. I don't accept no for an answer. But it takes humility, and as Christians, we need to practice this humility, especially when these things come from the hand of God. So how do you respond? How do I respond when being told no? Uh, in work, it might be something like we applied for a job or a position, and we're told no. So then we grumble, complain. Okay, I've been there. Uh, in my school, I've been bumped around a lot because it's based on your your role is based on seniority. So, some you know you can apply for something you don't get it, um, and so you get kind of bumped around. So it can make us discontent. I think I've definitely struggled with that. Um, you ask for a raise and don't get it. You're turned down. Now, certainly when it's me, I make excuses. But when it's my kids who aren't obeying, aren't listening, 
Uh, then I, oh yes, we, they need to, they need, children need to, you know, obey me. So in our family relationships, I totally uh, don't have any uh, mercy for my kids when they don't listen when I tell them no, but I let myself off the hook. Um, so what are things that maybe kids, they want to go to their friend's house, they want a phone, they want a job, they want to do all these things, and we, we somehow in our society have thought that it's bad to tell them no. We shouldn't tell them no. How about church life? We're asked, we ask to do something, maybe a budget item. Listen, I've been there. I think this is something we need. I even think it's from God. Someone tells me no, I don't like it. It makes me squirm. Building use. These days, I can just go to some other church if I don't like what I'm told. You just go somewhere else, right? We, j- we hop around. The problem is you take yourself with you. Yeah. Does God tell us no? How about my relationship with God? Does he tell me no? Yes. I have three examples of maybe areas where God might tell us no. It's something sinful. It's obvious. God tells me no. Don't, you know, um, sex before marriage. Uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a definite no. It's the Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Don't steal. Right? Um, it's something sinful to avoid for our own protection. God has our best interests in mind. Maybe it's timing. God tell me, told me no today. Okay? Something, you know, I've been striving for wanting for a very long time. I've, I've been wanting to buy a house for a very long time. And, you know, there's been times where I've been frustrated. I, I want this thing. This is something I want. I deserve it. I work very hard. Shouldn't, shouldn't I get it? But God's timing is, is involved. Uh, knowing the very thing we desire may, might not be for our best interest in that moment. The third one is the consequence for sin. And that's where we're going to go today. So let's look at Moses. Let's go back now. Let's look at Moses' plea. Moses pleads with God in verse 21 of chapter 3. Let's go back to that. He says, I'm sorry, 20, oh yeah, 21. And I commanded Joshua at that time saying, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done. So he's very excited about these things. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them for the Lord God himself fights for you. So in this excitement, Moses pleads, he says in verse 23, then I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, oh Lord God, You have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land. Notice it's see. Not lead. You know, not be Joshua, but to just see it. If I could just see it. Beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains of Lebanon. So, I don't know that Moses was doing something wrong necessarily in his desire and in his prayer. He's excited in, the, in that moment about, about God, about what God's doing. But it does bring up the question, just because I'm excited about something I want to do, and I'm enthusiastic, doesn't necessarily mean that's what I'm supposed to do. So I think sometimes in our passion for God, we think passion is a right that I can do this because I'm passionate about this. Does enthusiasm for God Give us the right. I would say no, not necessarily. And you'll see, God told, as you, we read, God told Moses, no. I'll give you an example of my own life. There was a time, as a public school teacher, sometimes it's frustrating. I wish I could serve God more directly. So there was something, I was doing a search for like teaching in a, at a Christian school in like Honduras. And it was when Varric was very tiny. 
my wife was going, you know, Nicola was going through a lot of, you know, things, dealing with the baby, and I'm, and I got a really excited idea about, I'm, I want to go take my family to Honduras and teach, because, you know, I want to use my, my teaching and my degree to, like, do something real and authentic for God, not just teach at a public school. So, it did, obviously, it didn't work out. I'm still here. So I was very excited about that, and the door, the answer was no. The door was closed. So that's just one, one example in my own life. Um, Moses had an intimacy with God in, in, in prayer. So should we pray? Should we be intimate in this prayer? Should we pray for our desires? Is that okay? Yes. It's, more, it's all about how do we respond when we get the answer, right? Um, so he didn't necessarily want to lead. I don't think there was vain ambition involved. I think he really honestly wanted to just experience the excitement of God in going to the promised land. God said no, though. Now, wait a minute. This kind of comes at a surprise. Moses, the one who parted the Red Sea, he did the, ten, the miracles of the ten plagues. He led the people out of Egypt. He, spoke, or he struck the rock the first time, and water came out. That was a miracle. He got the Ten Commandments. I mean, he was close with God. Surely, if anyone deserves to go into the Promised Land, it's Moses. He defeated other nations that stood up against, against the people. He even had plans and followed and built, out, built the tabernacle, which was an amazing uh, accomplishment. But God said, no, you can't go. Why? Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1 through 13. So Numbers 20, 1 through 13. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, Gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and to their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. So far, so good. Then he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly in the congregation, and the animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hollowed among them. So what was Moses' sin? Unbelief and not hollowing God. He said, must we, 
Must we do this? Was it him? Was it his work? Was it his power? He failed to give God the glory. He exalted himself. Serving God is a privilege, not a chore. God doesn't need us. Did you know that? He told Esther, right? Or Mordecai, I told Esther, if, if you don't stand up and do what you're supposed to do, God will raise up another. We are not needed. It's a privilege, and it's a blessing to serve. So he misrepresented God to the people. He was very sloppy about his witness. He was angry, emotional, and had a childish outburst. Is that what God is like? So it's quite sobering to us. We have a responsibility. I have a responsibility Whoops, to display what God is like in his character to those around me who I'm ministering to, to children, to my coworkers. You know, Jesus said, you are my witnesses. What concepts are people getting from us in our Christian walk? So it's very important, very sobering. God's name uh, should be revered, and we represent that name. So that's very important. Also, there's an important uh, idea in this that comes up in the New Testament um, in 1 Corinthians 10.4. This was a type of Christ. The rock represented Christ. Moses struck the rock once. He was to speak to the rock. And so in 1 Corinthians 10.4, it says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So, what is the rock? Now, Moses was to speak to the rock, which represents... Um, or strike the rock the first time, the first miracle, Jesus died once. Okay, so he doesn't have to die twice. We, Moses was to speak to the rock representing the, the Holy Spirit freely given after Jesus was crucified. So when we pray, we ask the water of life, the Holy Spirit is freely given as we ask. We don't have to be saved over and over again. We have the indwelling Spirit, now we ask for the filling of the Spirit. So there was a type of Christ and a really important symbolism that Moses, Moses failed. So now what? So Moses failed. Moses forfeit, forfeited the opportunity to go into the promised land. What does this show us? That no one is beyond failure. No Christian leader, no um, person is special um, beyond the rules or obedience. No one is entitled. God owes man nothing. Now, when I say the promised land, what is the promised land? The promised land is not riches, fame, or comfort. That's not what the Bible speaks of when it talks about the promised land. And it's not heaven because they had to go into the promised land and fight battles. The promised land represents the victorious Christian life. That's why Joshua had to fight, had to have courage. This is what Patrick was talking about, courage to face the battles. Those battles are the victorious Christian life. And... I would also say having you know, that promised land is having the greatest impact in the world around us for, for Christ. And when we don't enter the promised land, it's, it's not living that victorious life, not having impact for his kingdom. So the question is, is it possible to forfeit God's best for your life, for my life? Is it possible to forfeit God's best? I believe so. Could Moses have made a different choice? Can I make a different choice in my life? When I sin, it separates me from God. I can be forgiven. God forgives me. 
But does, but does God take away the consequences of sin? No, there are still consequences for sin. Um, you know, Rich has talked about this before. In Galatians 6, 8 through 9, starting in actually 7, it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. So the murderer who murders and goes to jail, God will forgive him. And he might get out early, but he still has to serve his sentence. What is also at stake are the souls of other people. And that's a big one. In, uh, first, in 2 Timothy Second Timothy 2, verse 19, it says... In part B, it says, The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also uh, wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. And this is the key. Therefore, anyone cleanses, who, therefore if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master." prepared for every good work. I don't know about you, but it sounds like that's something you can use your choice. You can forfeit that or you can be a vessel of honor. I want to be a vessel of honor, but I can relate with Moses. If God's best is the promised land, representing the abundant life in Christ, the spirit-filled life, then I have missed this opportunity in my life as well because of sin. I've definitely traded the peace of God for anxiety Pride or stubbornness. So I'll tell you a story. About 20 years ago, actually 22. So I didn't, you know, my family's come a long way. My family growing up's come a long way and many commitments of faith. But when I was in high school, right, skipping school, right, I wasn't a Christian. I struggled with drug abuse and alcoholism and addiction as an early child and as one pastor has told me it's like the ruts in a road if you go on a dirt road and there's wagon the wagon wheel ruts make the wagon wheels make ruts in the road and if you get close to those that wagon's gonna drop right back in there and that's something I'm gonna have to battle for my whole life addiction when I got saved it was very radical God did a radical work in my life delivered me from sin from drugs it was very immediate but there were things still in my heart that weren't quite dealt with. And so I went to Bible college, graduated, I did a one-year internship. And at the end of that one-year internship, um, you know, at the time in school, I did, uh, um, I worked in an after-school Christian program, you know, did really well in school. Everything was going great. I did my one-year internship with Pastor Larry Innerline, who was, you know, well-known in Calvary Chapel. So just a tremendous opportunity. He was moving on, and I had the opportunity to stay on board as, as a children's pastor of about 30 to 40 kids and take that job and be paid. It was just a great opportunity and kind of a no-brainer. When I look back, it wasn't like, okay, you could choose A or you could choose B. It was more like, here's A. It's the only thing you got going on. Take it. What a blessing. So I was still like, oh, maybe God wants me to do something, you know, be a missionary or go do all these, like, exciting, great things. So I wasn't sure. 
So I prayed, and that night I prayed. I remember praying. The day before I was supposed to meet with the pastor, praying like all night, like just praying, reading. And everything I came upon, God didn't necessarily speak to me by any other means but just to show me that in the Bible, there's a lot to be said about submitting to authority. And I knew at that time it was, the answer was yes, I should do this. The, the pastor was like, you know, you ask for their advice. They're like, yeah, go for it, you know. So I get in, the next day I'm like, I have my yes. I'm, I'm ready to say yes. I go into the meeting with the pastor, and it didn't go well. It was more of an interview. And I wasn't ready for that because I was entitled. I thought I deserved it. This is, I'm a shoe in This is going to be an easy. So the pastor started asking me things like, what is your goal, vision, you know, those kinds of, you know, things the pastor probably should ask somebody to make sure this guy's like, you know, they're vetting their, their person. This, you know, it's not an easy decision for them as well. Well, I felt insulted, slighted after all I've done for them. I don't deserve this treatment. And it was also not a year. I thought it was, I went in thinking it was a one-year commitment, but it turns out it was more like a, you need to bury your bones here. And as a 20-year-old I didn't really get that concept, so I get it now. I mean, I understand what he was saying, but I was pretty foolish and young. I wasn't told no, but I left that meeting saying no. I was like, no. The pastor actually tried to come back to me and have another meeting because someone talked some sense into him and was like, are you crazy? Don't let this guy go. Like, you... So there was both sides to the coin, but I, but I left, and at that point, I was bitter. And I said, no, I don't want to meet with you. You turned me down, so fine. So I'm like, I'm going back to PA. But there were some seeds of bitterness and rebellion that were planted. And that, that can happen in church because we're dealing with humans. We're all humans. And so I actually, I came here because Nicola and I were dating. I worked with Alex, and I lived with Larry for a while. Thanks, Larry. So I was shown a lot of grace. But naturally, as a pastor, and I'm dating the pastor's daughter like, there's going to be some natural conflicts that are going to come up, and it's, it just wasn't, it didn't work out. And it came to the point where those addictions started creeping back into my life due to discontent, bitterness, rebellion, starting to move myself outside of the authority of the structure of the church, starting to complain, starting to... So, the whole decriminalization of marijuana, not a good idea. Not a good idea. It is the gateway drug. Certainly I can attest to that. So started using, started just hiding, secrecy, lying. Moved back to PA. Nicole and I broke up. Moved back to PA. Lived with friends. Partied. Did all, the, you know, all those things. Independence. Living a life. But the problem with addiction is... It came back worse than it was before I got saved because I knew the goodness of God. I knew the peace of God. I knew the victory of God. Now I was being tortured. It was torture. I was enslaved by sin. And it was led to, to death, death, separation from God, and a giving up of all of the good things that God was doing in my life, forfeiting all of those things. So then I was in a, uh, an apartment with a friend, and I got maced and beat up in the apartment. We were, we were using and uh, just in darkness, and those people who call themselves your friends, when you mix drugs and alcohol, it's, they're not your friends. A friend would tell you to get away from that. 
So it led to brokenness. I was broken, moved back home, started going back to church, but I had basically nothing. I had given up everything, and I was just working a regular job. And, but I had a pastor, my pastor Tom, who shared with me an important concept about submitting to authority and surrendering. And I read a good book by Watchman Nee called Submission to Authority, great book. And God started building back stability within the protection of the body of Christ. But at that point, I had committed myself that if I'll just be a gatekeeper in the house of God, I don't need anything special. I, like the prodigal son, just I'll come back and be a servant in the house. I don't need anything. And, but God showed me great mercy through that. And, you know, Nicola, who were married and have kids and everything, um, God showed great mercy in giving me a second chance and giving the people in my life here who, you know, definitely did things the wrong way, you know, seeing God's grace in my life and having opportunities to serve in the children's ministry here, to be a teacher, to do all these great things for God. Now, God showed Moses grace. He allowed Moses to see the promised land. He didn't get to go in. And I can experience that grace and testify to that grace. But I often wonder, as I've struggled with my occupation, sometimes I pray, God, I want to be a whatever. I want to do this full time. I want to, and I can't. And I often wonder, what would have been different if I made a different decision? Can I go back and change the past? No. I can only do with what I have today. But I do want to encourage those of you, especially young people, stay on the path God has chosen. Don't be tempted by your curiosity. It's what the Bible says is true. It's always going to be true, and it will continue to be true on into eternity. The wages of sin is death. So I do wonder, because that is a struggle in my life, with my occupation, what would have life been like? Now Moses, so I can relate with Moses. Moses was shown grace. I've been shown grace. So God did... Show Moses grace. He allowed him to see the promised land. So verse 27. Um, Let's see. Chapter 3. Whoops, I'm in the wrong book. That would help. 327. He says, Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over the Jordan. So he couldn't cross over, but God still gave him grace to see the land. And God gave him a task. He wasn't done with him, even though he failed. So here were some of the things that God had Moses do. First of all, he was to charge Joshua. Look at verse 28. But command Joshua, encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before the people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So could it be the world that I wanted to change won't necessarily be me, maybe a student, maybe a child, maybe someone I'm teaching now, someone I'm leading into a closer relationship with Christ will be that catalyst of change. Also, Moses was able to encourage all Israel to walk carefully. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. Therefore, be careful to observe them, talking about the statutes and laws of the Lord. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. 
So Moses was able to encourage them. Look at verse 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And then in verse 20, he talks about not going to the promised land. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people, an inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So I think Moses was able to say this with some, some, some heart and some, some pain. You know, there's some pain behind that. Like, you know, listen, you know, I didn't. You need to. Now Moses, it seems, accepted the answer from God, and he found contentment. He didn't strive or struggle or wrestle with God. He... he God's grace is sufficient. As Paul said, take this thorn from my side three times. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And in just the same way, Moses seemed to accept God's provision. He accepted the answer. And there's an element of humility in that. Accepting when God says no. Um, in verse 30, Deuteronomy 34, you can read that chapter later. But basically, it, you know, Moses finished pretty strong. And it says in verse 10, But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. So it wasn't the end of the story. I mean, he still followed through with the tasks he was given to encourage Moses, encourage the people, and, you know, see the land, bring them, and Pass that baton on. I like this quote by Matthew Henry. Let it suffice thee to have God for thy father and heaven for thy portion. Though thou hast not everything thou wouldest have in this world, be satisfied with this. God is all sufficient. So God's lesson for Israel is on the importance of obedience, reverencing God when we serve him. Serving God is a privilege. None of us are beyond failure. No Christian teacher or leader is. This would have been a sobering lesson for the Israelites. And it should be a sobering lesson for us. We can also learn to be content when told no. And to remain faithful in today's tasks. Whatever those are. I have failed yesterday. I have failed in my past. But I can be faithful in today with what God's given me. And be obedient. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sometimes tell us no, because it's for our own good, even though we don't understand. I do pray that you would help us to be faithful in the tasks of today. Help us as we seek to follow you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us when we serve you not to be bitter, not to boast, not to take credit, but to give you the glory, and to see it as a great privilege to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We not only have the promised land here, the victorious Christian life, by your Holy Spirit and the power 
that you give us, but we have a future hope, eternity being with you. So we thank you for just all the many blessings that you give us. Um, and Lord, we thank you for your grace that even when we fail, you give us second chances. And I just pray anyone here today who doesn't know you would receive you. Anyone who has failed, who is struggling with guilt, that you would show them the forgiveness of your son and show them that there is a hope and there is a future, even from this point forward, that you have a plan and they can follow it. And so we thank you for today. Bless all the mothers out there, those struggling today um, with loss. I just pray you comfort them by your Holy Spirit as well and help us to be faithful in, in our role. As, as for the mothers and you know, for the parents um, to be able to say no when we need to to our kids and teach them these valuable lessons. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, thank you guys.